0: Welcome to the Community Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is a part of a series entitled, What If? For more information about our church, visit cccsterling.org. Well, good morning welcome to community christian church it's so great to have you here this morning i i trust that you are glad that you decided to get out of bed or not do the things that you normally do in the morning and make it to the house of god i so appreciate his presence in his house and we talk about this often the presence of god is with us wherever we go We know that he surrounds us, he's in us, he's with us. But there's something special when the saints of God gather together in his house. And David said it best. He said, the one thing that I desire more than anything else, and I pray this is your desire, to be in the house of the Lord and to behold him. We did that this morning. We were able to sense the presence of our God and I don't know if you were uh, in a position to just kind of get lost in his presence or if you had some distractions around you, but God was doing something among us. Amen. And these are the times when we have to just surrender our hearts to God. And so I'm going to ask, I'm going to appeal to you that you would pay uh, closer attention maybe than you normally do for the next 25 or 30 minutes and really try to absorb what it is that the spirit might be saying to you. You know, the Spirit is speaking today, speaking to the church. The Spirit of God is saying some things, and we've been hearing them. But there's a next step after hearing, and it's the doing. And so I'm going to ask you to do that this morning. I, I, I just feel like there, there's something that God wants to do, and it's not necessarily because this message is a great message. In fact, I don't think it is. It's a good message because it's the Word of God. But it's what God does with his word that changes our hearts. It's the word of God that transforms us. His word is quick, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So I believe that the presence of God is here today to use his word to transform us. And so good to have you here. Today's the fourth and final installment of our What If series. And without specifically articulating it, at least not in great detail, the goal of this series was to present to you A few thought provoking questions, and in the process, compel you to do a little soul searching and spiritual housekeeping. And just so you know, everything that we do around here on Sunday morning, every prayer, every video, every song and sermon, it has one underlying purpose and intent get unsaved people saved. And, and motivate safe, peop- safe people to the place of full devotion. I'm going to say that again. Our goal and our purpose with just about everything that we do is to get unsaved people saved and then to motivate saved people to the place of full devotion. And don't look now, but that's the community Christian church mission. That's what we dream about. That's why we exist It's at the core of everything that we do. And the only way that I know how to lead that kind of effort or initiative is to relentlessly challenge you to push past the place of complacency and sell out to God. That's been my message for 26 years. It has not changed. I have repeatedly, lovingly, appeal to you to get to the place of total devotion to God, where you are passionate, on fire, and sold out to the purpose of God for your life. Now, early on in my full-time ministry days, my passion for God, my zeal for the house of God, it was influenced and inspired by singer and songwriter Stephen Curtis Chapman. Many of you know that name. He's been around a long time, 30-plus years, singing for the Lord since the late 1980s. And if you ask me, Stephen Curtis Chapman is in a league all by himself. Right around the time that the Lord gave me the nod to start Community Christian Church, Stephen Curtis Chapman released his fourth album, For the Sake of the Call. In 1992, For the Sake of the Call won a Grammy, and it was named Contemporary Christian Album of the Year. I love that album. I listened to it countless times, over and over again. And for a while, there are a number of months, my favorite Christian song in the whole wide world was on that album. It was the title track with the same name. That's what a title track is, for the sake of the call. Listen to some of the lyrics. Somebody got it over there. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. We will abandon it all for the sake of the call. No other reason at all but the sake of the call. Wholly devoted, wholly devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. You see, that's what we preach around here. That's our commitment to the gospel message. It's becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Not lukewarm Christianity, not part-time, not a spare-time Christian, but totally and fully committed to the purposes of God, to live a life worthy of the call that God has placed upon you and included in our steadfast and unwavering devotion to the gospel is a powerful little component called the grace of God. And as you well know, I'm all about grace. I'm all about grace because grace is the only way that we could ever live that kind of a life. Without God-ordained grace, you have to take full devotion off the table. Without the grace of God operating in our lives, there is absolutely no way, not even remotely, would it be possible for us to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We need the grace of God. And it's not possible to become fully devoted without His grace because everything in this life and everything that this world has to offer pulls us in a direction away from God instead of toward God. Have you ever noticed that? Everything about us these days, everything in our culture is pushing us away from God. And it's just human nature to choose comfort over discomfort, and self-serving over self-sacrifice. And in many situations, as hard as we fight it, and as much as we don't want it, when push comes to shove, the flesh wins. The cravings of the flesh become greater and more prominent than the promptings of the Spirit. I'm going to say that again. Even when we fight it the hardest, and even when we make a determination to God that it's not going to happen, the cravings of the flesh become more prominent than the promptings of the Spirit. That's why in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul said, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts, set your affections on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on heavenly things and not on earthly things. Why in the world would Paul encourage Christians that way? Why would he tell us not to become so fixated and hung up on earthly things? Because that's what we have the tendency to do. That's precisely what we do. In fact, we actually choose what we've got going down here instead of what God has promised us up there. Did you hear me? We opt for the temporal over the eternal because it just seems to be a little bit easier. That's why Paul cried out from deep within And he asked us, he appealed to us to set our affections on heavenly things. Now, in response to how difficult it is to do that, especially today, knowing how we would battle, making the things of God a top priority in our lives. Jesus made a statement in Mark chapter 10 and verse 27. This is a powerful statement. Jesus said in Mark 10 27, what is impossible for men is possible with God. I'm going to say that again. And I want it to kind of sink deep down in your heart. What is impossible for men is is possible with God. You see you can sum up that statement with one five letter word. Any ideas? Grace. G R A C E. Mark 10:27 is grace personified. What we can't do. What we could never do. What is impossible for us to do is possible with God. Amen. What we can't do, what we could never do, Jesus said, What's impossible for us to do is possible with God. And I made a big deal about that this morning because I wanted to be able to say to you with confidence and without reservation that full devotion to God is is attainable. We can get there. In this culture, with everything that's going on around us, we can get to the place of full devotion to God. Who believes that with me? Let me see if I can get a few more on board, okay? Okay. So, full devotion to God is possible. Let's say it together. Full devotion to God is possible. It's possible. Because it's not possible for us, but it's possible with God. Okay, with that is my introduction, which doesn't count in my 30 minutes, okay? That's just a little backdrop, all right? Let's look at a very familiar story found in the Gospel of Mark. Again, Mark chapter 10, Mark the 10th chapter, we'll begin reading with verse 17. You'll recognize this story immediately. As Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, where was he going? I'm going to try to keep you plugged in, so I'll ask you a couple of questions here and there. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem when a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony or defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Where would his treasure be? In heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he walked away sadly because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, so Jesus said it again how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Then the disciples were even more amazed, and they said, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and made the statement I told you about earlier, what is impossible for men is possible with God. All right, oftentimes when we review this story, we get hung up on the fact that Jesus was talking to a wealthy man or a rich man. In fact, your Bible might even identify this man as a rich young ruler. So Jesus was literally talking to a king. So we look at that, we hear that, and immediately we check out and we say, well, this story doesn't apply to us. Because we're certainly not rich. Now, compared to what your idea of wealth might be, maybe you're not rich. But compared to the rest of the world, we're kings and queens. In fact, did you know that if you make just $10,000 a year, $10,000 a year, you are richer than 84% of the world's population. And if you get to $50,000, that means you have more money than 99% of the people on this planet. 50K means you're in the top 1%. So let's not make this story about money, because that's not what it's about. Money is an element in the story, but Jesus had a much different theme that he was trying to pass along to us, because this particular story is all about full devotion selling out to the gospel message, denying yourself, laying it all down, and following after Christ. That's what this particular story is all about. And so this young man with a very sincere objective came to Jesus and he at least knew Jesus or respected him because the scripture tells us when he saw Jesus, he fell down on his knees and attempted to honor him by calling him Rabbi or teacher, the King James Version, uses the word master or Lord. He respected Jesus. He acknowledged Jesus. And he came with a request. What must I do to inherit eternal life? See, this whole thing called the heavenly promises and what is going to happen in the afterlife, it was on his heart, so he he wanted this. And this was his objective. He said, what must I do to get this? What do I have to do to make sure that I secure this for my life going forward? And since Jesus had not yet gone to the cross, the law of Moses was still in play. So Jesus said to the young man, you know the commandments. Keep the commandments of God, the ones that Moses passed out. And what did the young man say? He said, I've done that since I was a boy. I've tried my best. I have obeyed those commandments. I've made them a top priority in my life. And in response to that, Jesus looked at him, and the scripture tells us he loved him. In other words, he didn't call him a liar. He didn't discredit him or try to punch holes in his claims. He knew he was a good man. He knew he had a good heart. Jesus could tell that he was speaking the truth. And so discerning in him a real desire to be able to get to the next level, Jesus said, okay, you lack one thing. Sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. And come follow me. And then you'll know what heaven is really all about. Do you remember what happened next? The young man hung his head and he walked away because he had great wealth. So here we have a good man with a good heart, doing good things, but unknowingly money had become his God. And maybe he wouldn't have readily admitted that. Maybe he wasn't even aware of it. But in this engagement between him and Jesus, Jesus pushed all the right buttons and he called him out. And Jesus basically challenged the young man and said, are you willing to let go of everything you have, what's important to you, and trust what's important to me? That's basically what Jesus said to him are you willing to let go of what you have, what's important to you, and trust what's important to me? And this young man said to Jesus, no, I am not willing to do that. And he walked away. And when he walked away, friends, he revealed his mindset. Check it out. Here's what the young man concluded in that moment as he was engaged in conversation with Jesus, here's what he thought to himself. My quest for eternal life is not as important to me as my wealth. Wow. What I've got going on down here is a little bit more attractive to me than what you promise up there. Can you imagine that? I mean, remember, he came to Jesus requesting information about eternal life. Jesus laid it out for him. said, this is the plan. This is what you have to do. And he walked away. Oh, okay then. It's really not that important. My life right now and what it entails, I just can't give all that stuff up. So I'll take this over what you're given, God. Now, maybe if Jesus would have said, wait a minute, before you go, come on back. Let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. Would you consider 50%? Instead of getting rid of all of it, would 50% make you a little bit more comfortable with that? I mean, I think we could cut a deal for 50%. If not, how about 25 25 work for you? Maybe a compromise would have helped a little. But you see, Jesus never negotiates the amount, it's always the same, every time. It's always 100%, all in, full devotion. That's what the gospel message requires of us. That's what Jesus said from the very beginning. If any man or any woman would come after me, let them lay down their lives, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And just about the time that we respond to God the same way that the rich young ruler responded, Just about the time we hear this whole idea of full devotion and we say, I'm sorry, that's not realistic. That's not practical. It's not feasible. I can't get there. Not in this culture. Don't expect me to lay it all down. Just about the time we're thinking that and giving that to God as our response, that's when the Holy Spirit will speak the exact same message that Jesus spoke in Mark 10, 27 with Man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. All things. God wants us to believe that. He wants that to be a part of our theology. More than just some words we read in the Bible, he wants us to believe that with him, with his power, all things are possible, including an overwhelming desire for the church of Jesus Christ to desire to inherit eternal life. And now I'm talking about here on earth, not waiting until we get to the other side, but actually seeing what God has for us today. And I'm talking about a revival, talking about a spiritual awakening taking place today. You think it's possible? It is possible. Because all things are possible with God. And I have to tell you, this city is ripe for a revival. It's been well overdue a long time since there's been a serious move of God in this place. In fact, there's been, it's been 45 years. 45 years since God has moved in a great way here. And more than just wishful thinking... I sense it in my bones. I feel it. And I know some of you feel it too. It's right around the corner. A supernatural impartation of the Holy Spirit is coming our way. If you can believe with God, all things are possible. Been 45 years. Since we've seen the God, God move in tremendous ways. Now, there's been a little sprinkle here and there. You've heard me say that before. A little, little spiritual rain. But the last time that God moved in this area in a significant way was in the late 60s and the early 70s with the charismatic renewal and Jesus movement. That's when a bunch of Catholics and hippies got saved. Some of you were a part of that revival. Some of you got saved during that time. I did as well. Some of you weren't even born yet. You don't even know what I'm talking about. But in in those days, people were getting saved left and right, and it came out of nowhere. I mean, one day we were as far from God as the east is from the west. The next day, we're in church three times a week, reading our Bibles and giving significant money in the offering. That's not normal. Because nothing about revival is normal, but it was taking place. And what if something like that were to happen today? What if revival really came today? What if the winds of the Spirit began to blow right here at Community Christian Church? Are we ready? Are we ready for God to do something like that? Because that's what the Spirit of God is asking us. Here's the question we need to examine, the thought-provoking question that we need to kind of let resonate in our hearts. Are we willing to let go of what we have, what's important to us, and trust what's important to God? That's what makes Mark chapter 10 and the story of the rich young ruler so applicable to our lives today because the Holy Spirit's asking us the same question. Are you willing to do that in this culture? Could you lay it all down for God? I tell you, if a few of us could say yes to that and mean it and get past our good intentions and actually take the next step, we could see a modern-day Pentecost today. I believe that with all my heart. That's how desperate this world is for revival. But it's got to start somewhere, and it has to start in the church. And so in the time remaining this morning, as I bring this message and this series to a close, I want to give you five prerequisites for revival. And by definition, that means all five have to happen. Not four out of five, all five. These are five essential elements that need to take place if we're going to see God move in a supernatural way, if we're going to be able to focus our attention on the heavenly realm as opposed to what's happening in the earthly place. Because that's the real issue. We are earthly minded. We have become earthly minded. And Paul said, don't do that. Get your attention in the right spot. It's got to be in the eternal realm. All right, here they are. Five prerequisites. Number one, recognize the need for revival. Number two, conclude revival is, in fact, possible. Acknowledge the source of revival. Revival remove the obstacles of revival, and employ the key element of revival. Okay, we're going to look at these quickly one at a time. First one, recognize the need for revival. We have to come to the place where within our own hearts, not only do we say it in conversation, but we absolutely know that if things are going to change, we need a revival. And let me just tell you that revivals don't normally take place when everything's going good. You know, it's hard for us to turn to God when uh, investments are up and to the right and unemployment is way down and everything's going good and people are working. It's a really hard time to turn to God when things are good. But even in the good times, we need to acknowledge that we absolutely need revival. Now, In John chapter 4, the scripture tells us that Jesus engaged a Jewish woman who lived in Samaria with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. She was getting water at a well when he walked up to her and started witnessing to her. And as a result of Jesus talking to this gal, guess what? She accepted the gospel message. She got saved. She went running back into town. And she said to everyone that she could meet, Come see a man who told me everything about my life. Could this man actually be the Messiah? And out of curiosity, many of the people that were in that town, they ran out to meet Jesus. And once they had a chance to engage Jesus in conversation, the same thing happened to them. Many of them got saved. In fact, Jesus turned that whole city upside down. People were getting saved left and right. And afterwards, Jesus turned to his disciples in John chapter 4 and verse 35, and here's what he said. Do not say four more months and then comes the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes now. Open your eyes now and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. How many of you know it takes a lot of work to bring in the harvest? A ton of work. There is so much to do during the harvest. And the key to becoming a harvester is seeing the fruit dying and rotting on the vine. That's why Jesus said, open your eyes and look. The harvest is ready. There are people who need to be harvested. Now, I have been telling you for years, and I will continue to tell you this as long as I have breath in my lungs, that one of the most commendable things we can do in this day is to be mindful of the less fortunate. To reach out to people who are in need and to show generosity toward those people and share the good things that we have. We're going to talk about that next week, like Dave mentioned, with our Mission Sunday report. We can give a slice of bread and we can give a pair of socks or shoes to people who are in need, but there's one thing we can't do. We can't save their souls. Only God can do that. God is the only one who is able to do that. We can lead them to a place. We can share the gospel message with them. But they have to open their hearts to God and they have to receive from God. And I still think the safest venue, the best place for people to get saved is the local church. This is the place where people need to be saved. A church that is passionate and vibrant and on fire for God. You see, if anything divine is going to happen out there, guess what? It has to happen in here first. That means revival starts with me. Say that. Revival starts with me. One more time. Revival starts with me. Yes, the world needs revival. But so do I. I need revival. So the number one prerequisite of revival is to recognize the need for it, and it starts with me. Number two, we must conclude revival is possible. You know, there are many believers today, and I engage in conversation with people all the time, not just unbelievers, but believers. There are a lot of Christians today who believe revival is not possible because of the state of our world. Isaiah in chapter 60 in verse 2 He said, there's coming a day when darkness will cover the earth and thick or gross darkness the people. How many of you know that day is upon us? I don't think I have to spell this out for you. There is a tremendous amount of evil in our world today. And that evil is creating a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness in people's lives. And because of that, because of the darkness, many, many Christians are discouraged, they're depressed, they're down, they're negative, and they're praying that Jesus would just come and take them home. I hear that all the time. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Maybe you've said it. Now, we've talked about that in lesson number one of this series, and we know heaven is going to be a great place. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 9, Paul said, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the great things that God has prepared for those who love him. And so, yes, heaven is going to be amazing when we get there. But we're not there yet. We're here. And it was very encouraging during that lesson when I told you that if you make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ then you don't have to stand in the judgment for the great white throne judgment. You have to come before the judgment seat of Christ, which is the Bema, and that's the place where rewards are handed out. And everybody was excited, clapped, and loved that. But at the Bema, you don't want to walk away from that event empty-handed. When the heavenly ushers are passing out rewards, you will want one which means you have to do something here on earth to roll up your sleeves. Get involved in the work of God. Take advantage of the gift that God has given to you and let the light that's in you shine in this darkness. That's what God has called us to do. Please don't conclude the world is too evil and the culture is too blinded and nobody is going to get saved regardless of what I say. People are getting saved today. People are getting saved. People will always get saved because God is always on the lookout for those who are lost. He's always in search mode, looking for those who are far from him. And so, honoring God with the gift that He's given to you is great reward, not only in this life, but when you're standing at that Bema seat. All right, that leads me to number three. And don't forget, I'm giving you the five essentials or the five prerequisites of revival. Number three, we have to acknowledge the source of revival. Any ideas? The Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4.6 says, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by intent, it's not by money, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The greatest Christian revival that ever took place on the face of the whole earth is recorded in Acts chapter 2. You know who the star of that revival was? Wasn't Simon Peter, wasn't John the Beloved, wasn't Paul the Apostle. It was the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. He came And he empowered Jesus' disciples, his followers, to be witnesses and to perform miraculous signs and wonders. might be good to just go through those first few chapters in the book of Acts just to get yourself excited about what God can do when the power of God is at work, when the Holy Spirit is at work. Do you remember the religious world's response to the activity of the Holy Spirit during Pentecost? There was confusion and chaos, and, and, and some even mocked the Holy Spirit. They said that the disciples were drunk. They weren't drunk. They were just operating in the power of God, something that they hadn't seen before. The people hadn't seen it before. We need a fresh awareness of God's power through the Holy Spirit, and he wants to do that. The Scripture says it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in our bodies. Can you imagine that? The same power that thrust him out of that grave is with us. The same power is with us. That Holy Spirit is with us. Some of you don't believe that. Some of you don't even have that as a part of your faith. It's true. That's what the scripture says. And the Holy Spirit of God today wants to use us. If we could take a step of faith, if we could get a fresh awareness of how vital the Spirit of God is in our lives, he wants to use us to perform miracle signs and wonders. Now, many years ago, a man by the name of D.L. Moody, ever hear of that guy? He heard a preacher say, the world has yet to see what God will do with one man or one woman fully surrendered to him. After Moody heard that statement, he raised his hand to God and said, I'll be your man. And God placed a powerful anointing upon him. He became a fiery evangelist, and God used him to spark the holiness movement in the late 1800s. It was a tremendous revival. It came out of nowhere. In lesson number two of this series, you heard Pastor Chris tell you that you have an extraordinary call on your life. Everybody does. Everybody has been called by God to do something. It's just whether or not you'll say, God, here I am. Use me. I'll be your man. I'll be your woman. I'll be your vessel. It starts there. All right, number four, remove the obstacles of revival. You're not going to like this one. I'll get through it real quickly, but I'll get it out anyway. We remove the obstacles of revival, and there's a few of them. There's compromise, there's complacency, and there's lukewarm Christianity. But all of those are symptoms of a much bigger problem. And the much bigger problem that we have, the root cause of all of our problems, all of our issues, is a little three-letter word that starts with an S, has an I in the middle, and ends with N. It's sin. That's our big problem. And now I'm not talking about the sin of unbelievers. I wish I were. I'm talking about sin in the church. The disobedience of believers to do what God has instructed us to do in his word. You know how many people come to see me and ask me what they should do in certain situations? I say, well, let's go to the word of God. Let's check what God's word has to say. And so we kind of find it and we lay it all out. And then they say, well, I know that's in the word, but I'm just not going to do that. Why? 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 There is a disobedience in the people of God today to not obey the word of God for whatever reason. We have secret sins. We have all kinds of things that we're involved in. The only way that we're ever going to see a revival is if we are willing to repent of those sins. That's the word that Jesus gave to the church in Revelation 2.5. One word message, really. Repent. You've forsaken your first love. Repent. Send said it to all the churches. Repent, repent, repent. You know, repentance is a lot more than being sorry for your sins. And I would believe 99% of you, as soon as you do something that you know is a violation of God's word, you feel bad. You say, I'm sorry. Repentance is not saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is not confessing your sins. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you confess your sins, you get forgiveness. That's not repentance. Repentance is turning away from that particular behavior and choosing to go in a different direction. And we absolutely have to do that if the Spirit of God is going to move among us. In fact, not only do we have to repent of our own sins, we have to repent of everybody's sins. That's what happens. When we humble ourselves and say, God, we are turning from our ways. We are going to turn back to you. You know, when you follow the men of God throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, their number one assignment was to turn the people of God back to God because we have a tendency to stray from God. It's what happens our human weakness. And so God set up priests and prophets and evangelists and all of the ministers of the New Testament so that the people of God could turn back to God. Repentance is the way to do that. Finally, number five, employ the key element of revival, prayer. Prayer is the key element of revival. Plain and simple, nothing happens without prayer. In fact, historically, You won't find one single revival that wasn't preceded by a group of people coming together to pray. And I mean passionate, urgent, anointed, faith-filled prayer. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had come, all the disciples were together in one accord. They were all in one place. Have any idea what they were doing? They were praying. They were seeking God. They were on their face saying, Lord, we need you. We desire you. We have to have you in our lives. Maybe it's been a while since you've found yourself in that place of prayer. Maybe you pray occasionally when things aren't going well or if, when you hear somebody in your family sick and you offer a quick prayer to God. Maybe you pray over your meals. We've got to do a little bit better than that. And maybe you've heard it. Maybe it's in your heart. Maybe you feel convicted because you haven't spent as much time in prayer as you know you should. Let me encourage you. Take that first step. Get to a prayer meeting. Come this Wednesday. We meet at 7 o'clock. On Wednesday at 7 o'clock, you will find a small group of fanatical prayer warriors who come together and are believing for a breakthrough, and it's right around the corner. I believe it with all my heart. Take time, make time for prayer. It'll change you from the inside, and it's a prerequisite for revival. Let me give them to you one more time. Recognize the need for revival, conclude revival is possible. Acknowledge the source, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. Remove the sin in your life that's the obstacle of revival, and then employ prayer as the key element. Of revival. Let's bow our heads. Holy Spirit of God, we're going to give you just a minute here before we do anything else, just to kind of work a little in our hearts. Lord, I can just tell because of the atmosphere that you're speaking to us, Lord. And I thank you for the majority of people right now who are under conviction. Conviction is not bad. Conviction is good. Condemnation leads us away from you. Condemnation makes us feel ashamed of ourselves. But the conviction power of the Holy Spirit, it draws us closer to you. And so we thank you for conviction, Lord. In fact, that's one of the things that Jesus said would happen when the Holy Spirit would come, would convict us of things that need to be out of our lives. And so I thank you right now, Lord God, for what you're doing here among us. And for these five components or elements that I mentioned today, show us which one we have to do first. Which one, Lord God, is a top priority in our lives? As we come before you and we talk about the eternal blessings and the benefits of serving you. I pray, Lord, we would not conclude without even knowing it that what we've got going on down here is more attractive than what promises that you have up there. Lord, we want heaven on earth. Bring your presence to the world through your church. Build your kingdom through us, Lord God. Change our attitude. Change our mindset. Help us to get to the place that regardless of what this culture demands, the message of the gospel is everything. 100% commitment to you. Full devotion. That's all it will ever be. You won't settle for anything less. I pray, Lord God, that you would do something so powerful, so spiritual in our hearts. I thank you for a congregation of people that you've assembled together, Lord. This is your community, and you know where we're at spiritually. We want this. Lord, more than anything else, we want to see you move in the earth today. We want our family members who are unsafe to come to know you. We want them to bow their knee to the cross, confess Jesus is their Lord. We want to see those who are sick, those who have addictions, those who are lonely, afraid, anxious. Lord, we want to see the freedom come to them. It only can happen when the church is operating at peak performance. Do something, Lord, here. Let the winds of the Spirit blow on our church. Why not here, Lord? Why not here? Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to go to cccsterling.org media for more messages from Community Christian Church.